Hello, little and big D's. It's me, your divorce doula, Miranda. I just made that up. But I bet people use that professionally. Uh, but also, don't make me your divorce doula, please. It's been a big week for the podcast. I usually share updates at the end of the episode, but because I'm so filled with gratitude, you're getting them all up front because I'm so excited and I just want you to know right away. Okay, first things first, we are featured on Apple Podcasts homepage. You'll see my face when you click browse, like the first feature. It's, it's amazing. Second thing is I've confirmed my season finale guest, but I'm not going to tell you who it is yet. We are recording live and in person again. It will be in mid-January. As soon as I'm ready, I'll spill the beans over on my Instagram account at Big D Pod. Tickets will be limited. So, uh, you know, get ready to click through. Third thing, all of you have been sharing your Spotify wrapped with me and it just warms my heart, seriously. I was looking at all of your tags on my lunch break today and seriously teared up. Apparently, we're in the top 20% of shared podcasts. On Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, you have been sharing the podcast with your friends. Thank you. This makes such a huge difference. Please share this episode. Lastly, I want to let you know about some upcoming episodes. I'm so excited for these. We're in the final stretch of the season. I've got Chef Joshna Maharaj up in two weeks, and she and I will be talking about food as a trigger for grief, comfort food, and food as a source of healing. I also have, drumroll, Schitt's Creek writer Monica Heisey coming on the pod later this month to talk about her debut novel about a young divorcee called Really Good, Actually, which will be published in January. Today's episode features Kat Fuldvari, and we're talking about mental health. If you follow the podcast, you'll know I've been on a mental health journey myself. It's only the last four months where my PTSD symptoms have, at least for now, mostly dissipated. Nightmares, panic attacks, it's been a journey. And I haven't shared all of it, you know? Everything I share in my personal divorce story episode in season one is true. But it was only part of the story. Things at times in the last six months of my relationship were much worse. And the six months of what I would call recovery that followed, also pretty bad. Teaching myself to feel safe again has been hard, deep work. So I had Kat on to talk about some of her divorce story and sprinkle in some of her expertise to talk about mental health. One thing that I really appreciated her talking about is how given her expertise, she felt like her expectations of herself and the expectations on her from others was that she was going to go through her separation and divorce with more grace just because she had more knowledge, but everyone has to figure it out for themselves. Kat is a mental health social worker with a master's in public health systems research. 
Most recently, she's worked on projects building comprehensive mental health strategies and designing wellness programming for healthcare workers in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. That is some hard work. Let's just take a moment to appreciate healthcare workers. She's a fierce advocate for empathy and understanding and passionate about the strengths-based approach to coaching and guiding others. Recognizing that there's a huge gap in mental health services and support, especially for people going through separation and divorce, she's dedicated to providing mental health education, helping people navigate the system, and advocating for the development of additional resources. She's a certified daydreamer. I love that. And avid trail runner, a mother of three bio kids and two bonus kiddos. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Kat. How are you doing today? I am doing very well, Miranda. Thanks for having me. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. We had such a great chat on the phone the other week, and I'm really excited and honored that you're going to be sharing some of your personal story and then also some of your expertise in, in mental health. And I'm excited to dive in. But First, I ask all of my guests, what's our meet cute? That is a very good question. Well, we were connected through a mutual friend who sent me to your podcast many months ago, actually, and I've been listening ever since. And then we got started on a conversation about doing scary things and sharing our stories. And that evolved into a conversation about your podcast and maybe an opportunity to share my divorce story. And on today of all days, November 26th, which happens to be the anniversary of my divorce, which it seems like it's just all, it's meant to be, it's all come together in uh, such yeah. a cool way. Yeah. Oh, yes. I actually forget when my divorce anniversary is. I think it's, when do you count yours from? So I count mine from the day that we decided to get separated, that we put on our, our paperwork. Oh, right. Okay. See, because in my mind, I was first thinking like the date it became official, like when you got uh -huh. the return paperwork from the the clerk saying, yep, it's done. That's fair. That, and I'm sure some people count from that too. I'm thinking that we got divorced during the pandemic. So that official divorce paperwork got delayed a couple of times. Yes. So that didn't seem to to feel as right as when we decided to that it wasn't working anymore. That seems yeah. more official that way. Yeah. For us anyway. Yeah. My divorce also got processed through the pandemic. Maybe this was the same for you, but I got the confirmation that the paperwork had been like completed and the judge had signed it and I was divorced in an email. Did you get yours through email? I did get an email and, and I think I got just a, a loose leaf piece of paper with a confirmation in the mail later mm -hmm. on, but that was months and months later. It was yeah. so, it was such like an informal, weird, <laughs> just get an email, hey, your divorce is finalized. And I also looked at it in the middle of the workday, which was just, I was jarring to get an email saying, hey, your divorce. Right? Yeah. I'm, I haven't even thought of that in a while. I think I remember feeling the same things. Just getting the email, 
partly shocked and partly kind of excited. Like, oh, do I do I celebrate? I'm sorry I don't have a glass of champagne beside me right now. It was anticlimactic. Like, I wanted to have a glass of champagne, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a funny thing. All the lead up to getting married and then you're kind of on the tail end of getting divorced. It's like, yeah, that, yeah. but kind of <laughs> cool, yes. <laughs> That's exactly what it felt like. So... I am going to pass the mic to you now to share your divorce story. Sure. Since we chatted on the phone, I've been trying to think of where to start mm. in sharing my story and what exactly my my story is. Because so I feel like, and maybe this is true for you or for other people who have gone through it, it's a bit of a whirlwind and there's bits and pieces that I remember and a lot of those things I really wrestled with or struggled with or that made me mad. Those high emotion times that I remember, but there's a lot more to the story in the in-between. My ex and I, we met when we were teenagers and we got married after having our, our first child together. And that evolved into, we had another kid in between, tried to, to work things out, had some good times, some bad times, and then ended up more of a drift apart situation leading up until we got divorced in 2020. And I think what led to that drifting apart was a couple of different things, including some, some pretty traumatic or some pretty difficult things that I felt like I went through. The way I tend to talk or the way I tend to communicate is in a kind of a we, us mentality, collective upbringing type of way. But uh, in this case, going through what I went through, it felt like a very I, because I felt like I went through it by myself, despite having been in a partnership through them. And those things were, I lost my, my brother to suicide in 2017, lost my dad, who had been diagnosed with ALS in 2016, and my grandma a couple of years before that. That felt like more of a, a natural closure. She was older and that grief I felt okay with the processing, but after losing my brother and um, seeing my dad uh, through that illness, I think I progressively needed more more support, and I tried to ask for that in a, a bunch of different ways. And he didn't want to, couldn't provide that for whatever reason, and it felt like a lot of conversations that were in a miss. I would ask, and maybe he thought he was providing support in a way that he knew how or in the best way that he could, but felt like just a, an extra emotional burden to try to to maintain the relationship and his priorities and my priorities in a way that I ended up initiating the conversation for divorce, but we both decided that might be the best case scenario. In the first couple of months, we thought that maybe we could maintain some kind of a friendship and a solid relationship for the sake of the kids. Uh, that was probably a mistake in hindsight because we were both processing. Uh, we managed the relationship our own way and then processed the divorce in our own ways, which happened to be very different and conflicting and caused ourselves more hardship than we needed to. But through that kind of trial and error process, that grief ended up feeling some sense of uh, relief with the decision where couldn't quite put our finger on why it made sense. There was more to build on living, trying to live separate lives and figure out the co-parenting thing from there. Yeah. I think that's uh, kind of where I guess our divorce story ended. And that to me feels like a natural 
that's the divorce. Everything was finalized. And the co-parenting journey from there on is something like a separate, a new chapter in our lives. I think with grief, whether that's loss through someone close to you dying or grief and the loss of a relationship, that's a hard thing to process. And that's where I think a lot of my compounding, we'll call them mental health struggles, came into play. Like I felt like everybody around me was just leaving in one way, shape or form. But um, I've found some ways to like make meaning out of all of that. And not that everything happens for a reason, but maybe there's a lesson to be learned in all of that. And being able to have the time and space where I'm not feeling stressed, un- misunderstood, or I'm not fighting with somebody or feeling like a burden going through hard things and needing the support that I need that has done wonders for who I am, figuring out what I need in in support and just in life in general and really what my goals are as an individual rather than somebody who feels like they're trying to shrink myself down emotionally or fit into a mold of somebody who may or may not be able to support support me in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And excitingly, um, in my kind of processing journey, figuring out who I am as an individual, I've found a new relationship with someone who who is able to support me and has made me feel like I'm not asking too much. Maybe I was just asking the wrong person. Now I can ask the right person. That's evolved into some really good feelings. I feel really good about where I'm at, who I am, my relationship, and and where I'm headed, where we are headed. At the risk of uh, sounding cheesy or gushing about my new relationship, it's just one of those things where I feel like I've known him for a long time and we're able to complement each other's communication styles and just some of the, the goals that I've set out for myself, being able to talk to him about that. And coincidentally, a lot of my goals align with his goals. And um, we got... Um, got to talking and because we feel like we've known each other maybe we're able to get vulnerable with each other in a way that we haven't been able to get vulnerable with any within any other relationship in the past and know each other really deeply that's been a really cool experience and uh, call it too soon who knows not for us but we just had a baby too a couple of months ago who's two months old now and that's been a really cool experience in uh, in parenting together so it's almost like I I, uh, get a a second shot at love and I feel like I'm doing it too soon to tell well maybe I'll uh, reconnect in a couple years I'll let you know if I still feel that way we're really a team and getting to, to parent this little guy together and involved in each other's lives as uh as step parents or whatever you want to call it as well mm-hmm. big happy family that's awesome that's so yeah. exciting i'm so happy for you <laughs> thank you a lot of what you shared resonated with me going through traumatic experiences and essentially going through them alone with not a lot of support and also the feeling of asking for too much like through that because you're not receiving that support and feeling like too much that's so isolating that's such an isolating feeling reflecting on like my own experience of that I think like that's when I started grieving the end of the relationship before it ended because when you don't have that support and you feel that isolation in a partnership it's 
It's awful. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel that too. Maybe that's why I took that November 26th day or the day that we had decided together mm. that um, um, divorce is what we needed to do as that date of the uh, our anniversary, my anniversary. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how people say these things or celebrate these things if they do. No, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Because that was the day we were brave enough to have the conversation or I was brave enough to bring it up, but I had decided in my head long before that or started grieving long before that before we ever talked about it yeah so what was your thought process leading up to that and and what gave you the bravery to have that conversation my thought process before that started I'd say if I could put a date on it or a timeline on it probably about two years before we I actually brought it up and I brought it up in different ways, maybe trying to make it work. Or maybe if I reading books and articles and talking to different people, I had started therapy or dab- dabbling in that previously to uh, find my inner fierceness and maybe communicate in a different way. Because sometimes maybe you need to we talk about love languages and maybe uh, communication styles. And maybe if I try communicating differently what my needs are, he can he can meet them in a different way. Or maybe he's just not realizing what I need. That trial and error process ended up not yielding the results I was hoping for. So leading up to that, after uh, I lost my dad, I had started or had started looking for a job because that was something that I wasn't finding a lot of fulfillment and I really wasn't getting what I needed career-wise in that way. I had done an interview for what I decided was going to be my dream job. And I think that was the the cusp of when I decided, okay, I, I just, I, I've lost all hope that um, there's anything I can do without getting much back to be able to really put any more into this relationship in, t- in terms of trying to make it work. And what uh, he said at the, at the time is, why can't you just be happy with where you're at? And that played around in my head for days and weeks thinking, why can't I just be happy? What is it about me? And is there something wrong with me? And in that thought, it's like, there, it can't be all me. And I ended up getting that job that I applied for, or despite him discouraging and despite his own maybe anxieties over me taking the sleep of faith into leaving that previous job that I didn't find fulfilling into this dream job that I had really gotten excited about. And yeah. um the just getting that job and uh, really enjoying it and feeling like now I've got that that piece of my life that's fulfilling me and that maybe there's something there maybe it's not all me maybe it's just the environment or different goals or different priorities trying to make sense of it all that we needed to go our, our separate ways I selfishly didn't want to feel like I was being held back and uh maybe in a way that I didn't want to be a burden to him in any ways but I felt like at the cusp of that decision and getting that job, it happened to be in healthcare, which at the peak of the pandemic was even now, it's not a great, I'm not an easy environment to work on. And if I was going to do something and I was going to hold on to this piece of my life that I found really fulfilling, that I needed to be in a relationship or on my own or have the time and space to seek out those relationships that would be supportive enough for me to make it through working in healthcare and being the best mother that I could be that I couldn't do that uh, while we were in a relationship together. 
And if you love something, let it go. All those kind of catchphrases that maybe sound cheesy, but those are the things that ended up um, kind of making me feel okay with deciding that that divorce was the the path to go, I guess. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So shifting now into thinking about all of what you've processed since the divorce, what have you learned about your mental health through that process? I've learned a lot, actually. It's been an exciting road, an interesting road. First and foremost, I think about kind of setting goals, the, the idea that I'm not too much. I just need to be able to act for it in the right way or ask the right people. I don't, I don't like to think of my ex as a bad person, just not compatible for many different reasons. But what I need is kind of that transparency and communication and how important that is to my ability to be open and vulnerable and how vulnerability is such an important thing for myself. And being able to be authentic to who I am, seek out those self-care things that we talk about in different ways. My attachment style, I've been able to explore some of those things that have been deep-rooted in my childhood and what I learned from my parents. As wonderful as an upbringing as I feel like I had, there's different things that we learn and how that translates into adulthood. And getting to explore myself through different things like journaling and uh, through therapy and all those different pieces has been a really, a really cool journey. Hmm. It's been like the hardest in for me in terms of my self-reflection, but the most rewarding. And I feel like I'm a whole other person now in a way. But it's hard work. And I think a lot of people can go through a divorce and scapegoat everything onto their ex and not do that work. So uh, I really admire that you were able to do the hard, the hard work yourself. That's, that's really amazing. Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. I agree that it's really hard to be able to do that work. And it's, I feel like it almost takes a leap of faith to kind of look inwardly or put the mirror up to yourself about what it is that you can do either for yourself, for your environment, or invest that energy in being able to explore your own thoughts and feelings around things. I think what's helped me initially is the the friends and the close relationships developing those things that I maybe didn't put as much as on within my marriage or within that those years leading up to the divorce. Thinking like, okay, you know what? I want to invest my my time and energy into seeing what I can do to to make this marriage work until I couldn't or our uh, those friendships that were there all along, but I didn't really appreciate and value in the way that I, I appreciate and value them now. And that's a really good feeling too. They have those really, those soulmate type friends and those really strong connections and bonds and expanding my feelings of trust and being able to just appreciate all that for what it is. Mm-hmm. That's been really great for my mental health as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I know that this is like a pretty obvious question, but I wanted to ask you anyways, because I wanted to hear your answer. 
why do you think significant breakups impact our mental health so, so much? I think that's a really good question and maybe not so obvious. I think part of it is the environment or the world that we live in around stigma and people's perceptions. Funny enough, I've had this conversation on various occasions with my mom and we talked about her feelings and her understandings of divorce and separation and relationship breakdowns are different than her mother's were, and are of course different than the way our generation or the next generation's view separation and divorce and when I had gone to her because I go to her about everything (laughs) uh, and told her that this was the decision I made and that we were getting separated and divorced her first thought was, what is the family going to think? Or what are people's understandings? And she still to this day has says divorce as if it's a cursed word and stutters when she just describes a situation or talks about co-parenting and the grandkids. And it's uncomfortable for her to to say that her her daughter is the is a divorcee because of all the messaging that uh, she's grown up with. And that is that divorce is a failure of of some sort or why couldn't you make it work or all those things that you are questions that you assume are coming up in people's heads. I feel like we've come a long way since 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago in terms of uh, divorce and how we view it. And it seems like it's much more of a a framing that it's sometimes things don't work and there's bravery associated with ending a relationship and 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 starting fresh but i don't think we've completely come to a point where everybody feels that way about about things and that can be really impactful for people's mental health the fear of judgment the fear that people don't understand where you're yeah. coming from or feel like there's something wrong with you that you weren't willing to stick it out and make it work yeah yeah i mean marriage is still the primary way we organize society in relationships so, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So even without things like a religious component or without a generationally different attitude, there's like that's still the like, fundamentally like the the pinnacle of success in how relationships are organized. So, yeah, it's it is a continuous stigma for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's a good point in terms of the way you're organized. And a lot of people count and celebrate those marriage anniversaries. Uh, we've been together five years, 10 years, whatever the case may be. And you really hold on to it, that as being a piece of your identity in a way, too. That That's a measure of success for a lot of people. It's hard when when you don't have that. The, and you mentioned the religious piece of it, too. And I grew up with family that were very religious. We went to church as kids. and. There's that sanctity of marriage piece. Yeah. When I've had kind of that conversation with my religious family members, I've said to them kind of like, even without the divorce in in paperwork, um, like my ex had already like disrespected the sanctity of the marriage. And to me, how you are as a team and in the partnership, like that's where it counts to hold that quote-unquote sanctity in their relationship and it's less about the the status 
of of the relationship itself and that's where people need to have that fidelity to the what you committed to with someone exactly exactly yeah and uh, and ahead. yeah it just seems like it's uh, there's almost a two ways of thinking about that and that can cause some to use a psychology term some cognitive dissonance if it needs to be a partnership it should be a team and that's the expectation what are the expectations on the other side for you to respond to that and honor that in a way that makes sense to you and that uh, that supports what you need to feel good about either the relationship you're in or um, that partnership that that you've committed to mm-hmm. in terms of your mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think the way mental health is portrayed through a breakup in movies is also like super unhelpful to this entire societal narrative. Like women are like, usually portrayed as like so hysterical which like you know happens um but and then there's like you know, I, I reference this a few times in different episodes you know, like the bottle of multiple bottles of wine and ice cream on the couch but there's so much more there's so much more why why do you think that the mental health issues surrounding breakups aren't portrayed as like really legitimate good question um i think it's scary for people probably a stigma thing too and that vulnerability piece of saying that it's hard that's a really hard place to sit it's it's really not awesome right now and i don't know where i'm headed in the future whether it's going to be great i'm going to be super successful and I want to feel in my head and portray to other people that I'm. this was the right decision for me when you aren't quite sure if this is the best decision to me and what that means for you. you want, we want to be able to tie everything else, everything up with a really nice bow and, and package it in a way that, uh, that feels good and looks good to the outside. But yeah. that conflicts with the reality of what life is what relationships and breakups are are all about yeah yeah um so how has your uh like academic training impacted your own personal process and approach to your separation and divorce you're really making me think here the short answer is that you'd think that um coming from a mental health background and knowing the ins and outs of psychology and resource navigation and all those things would have kind of given me the upper hand and being able to to work through a breakup and a divorce. And maybe it did on a certain level that I can't put words to or can't articulate, but uh, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword or at least feels that way. when. I think back to my mental health journey, exploring those goals and thinking through how I can apply some of the tools and resources that I 
recommend to other people from therapy and journaling to exploring opportunities for, for self-care and pointing people in the right direction. It, it made me feel like there was a, a lot of pressure to have it all figured out. Like mm-hmm. we, we were talking about the journey um, mm-hmm. rather than the, the destination of, of mental health. And how it could be months or years for some people and being open to that process and doing everything in your own time. I felt like the expectation of others and the expectation I put on myself that it needed to be a shorter process or an easier process for me because I knew who to turn to and I knew what tools and resources to apply. But in my case, it still felt like it was very much trial and error for what works and what worked one day might not have worked the next day. What worked one week didn't work the next week. And it, it felt like a lot of a, a moving target. I, I really needed to use a lot of different resources and a lot of different people as the sounding board to figure out and come to the place where I'm at now where things feel a lot more settled and they feel they feel good and they feel right. Yeah. So what were some of your stress responses in the separation time for you? Like, what are examples of what those can look like for people who, like, that language isn't familiar to them or, like, they wouldn't know how to identify those things in themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good question. Mm-hmm. Men might look like hyperarousal or hypoarousal and that's kind of the the language folks in the mental health world might be more, more familiar with and hyperarousal would be somebody who's more activated by feeling out of control in a situation if for example my triggers with my ex were the communication styles or feeling like i'm being micromanaged or told that something should be done a certain way when rather than being a more collaborative tone to think that gets my brain going in a way that feels like, oh, am, am I doing something wrong or mm-hmm. should I be doing something in a different way? feels more accusatory than that's the lens that I look at it through. That's my perception of things. Then I look for things in my life that I can't control or I feel like, okay, you know what? This makes me feel confident and I do all the things, everybody out of my way. Somebody yeah. who is identified more with the hypo arousal state might feel like, you know what? I'm triggered, somebody says something or does something or a situation feels out of control and I just freeze. I don't mm. know what to do. I maybe fall into a depression. I feel like I just, I, I can't make sense of what I need to be doing. And I, I hermit, I close my doors. I don't want to talk to anybody. You want to be somewhere in between where you're not hyper aroused or you feel mm-hmm. like now I can't sleep at night. I can't turn my brain off. I now volunteering for 10 different activities just to feel like I've got something that helps me not think about the the current or what's stressing me out right now. Um, Or you're not hypo aroused where I feel like I can't, I can't do anything or I I really can't make a a decision to a place where, you know what, I identify and I can accept that it's tough, but I'm able to have a clear focus on and uh, tap into what I'm involving myself in on a daily basis that helps me feel good, that contributes to my self-care. And I'm doing these things with mindfulness. I'm doing them with intention. That can, that's where you have to explore and do the work to be able to find out what those things are. What am I doing as a stress response, as an anxiety response? And what am I doing? Because I know what's contributing and adding value to my life 
and helping me come to a place where I feel good about where, where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Allowing yourself to explore some of those stress and why something's stressing you out in those small doses or those doses that, uh, that you can handle and cope with. Yeah. And for some people that might feel a little prescriptive where say it's a, a conversation with your ex and you feel really triggered, you can't identify with why, but do you set boundaries on that conversation? You have a short conversation either over the phone or in person. In my case, I do that on a regular basis or I have to for, for co-parenting mm-hmm. reasons. And you sit with that for a little bit and mm-hmm. you explore some of those ideas within yourself and then involve yourself in an activity like different activities like crafting groups or reading groups or just take a hot shower all those self-care type things that help distract you from that then you can come back to it and you play around with that a little bit until it feels good where you start to get triggered less and less on an emotional level because you're you're giving yourself that understanding and that opportunity to rationalize and make meaning out of whatever that trigger was for you and in a way that feels like the, uh, those are healthy doses. We all have these emotional responses within ourselves and that we can't re- necessarily explain or rationalize, but they come from a reason or a deeper rooted reason, attachment related or, or otherwise. And um, giving ourselves that opportunity to explore those is, is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm rambling again. No, no, it's great. I I am really enjoying listening to you. Uh, the the other thing I think has been really helpful can be really helpful. For people is uh, we're social creatures as humans. We need other people. But even the most introverted of introverts need other people in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's passive socialization or active socialization, mm-hmm. to be able to make sense of what we've, what we, what we are, where we're at or what we need in life. And yeah. we can do that by reaching out to friends and just talking things through. We do that in therapy and do that through other social media accounts. That's something that's been really helpful for me through separation and divorce is just following different Instagram or different Facebook accounts that uh, mm-hmm. speak to divorce, separation, co-parenting and Kind of some of those more humorous accounts where it's making fun of um, some of those things that are 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 true to divorce and kind of simplifying them in a way that's like, ah, yes, that was a trigger for me and it felt really yeah. annoying and frustrating. But you know what? Everybody yeah. that everybody goes through that again with that meaning making and yeah. reframing and helping you feel like, you know what, this is it's it'll all be okay. It is all okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a huge reason why I started the podcast because when I was first going through my separation, I didn't know anyone in my peer group that had also been separated. Um, And I did have some people in my life who had gone through the divorce who were, who are my friends, who are older, um, but that's like, that's a different experience than being like, how old was I? I was like 29, you know? So I, I felt really alone at certain points. And 
so much of the content that's out there is like stale, male, pale lawyers. I talk about this all the time. And this might be my own like internalized misogyny. So I'll say that. But a lot of the women who create content about divorce that I found, like it's so sentimental and saccharine and just like really like the way people talk about feelings. I want to just like get deep into it, you know? (laughs) I really want to get like, just like, let's be like really honest and not waxing poetic about like, I don't know, whatever. Uh, And so I just didn't find anything that really resonated with me and what I needed and wanted. I hope that there are more people out there that will be creating more divorce content. I think there's a market for it. And I think it's so, so needed. Like we uh, talk about divorce and that grief journey. And Mm -hmm. you might need different things at different times, but to be able to connect and feel validation through other people's experiences and kind of draw those connections to help yourself feel okay with the situation is is so uh, so important. Yeah. Um, I think uh, just to reiterate that uh, Mm -hmm. mental health is the, it's a journey. It's not a destination. And I think that's uh, true through separation and through divorce and through, through life in general, there is life after divorce. In one of your episodes, you mentioned that at some point, when does it become part of your past or your history rather than it being just kind of your everyday current for the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge component of mental health and putting all of those hard things that you go through life in their proper place and organizing that in a place in your head that that makes sense. And that um, I think that's important to think about as as individuals, as 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 people mm-hmm. and finding that that proper place on the shelf for it. it mixed feelings are OK. And what I hope the world knows and what I, I want to remind myself of is that it's all all okay there's no right and wrong in in any of this it's what makes sense to you and what feels right to you love it thank you so much kat for your vulnerability and commitment to the integrity of your story and for being so willing to help others along your journey kat shared a lot of resources with me and i've linked quite a few of them in the show notes Thank you to my patrons, Jacob, Dana, Rachel, Sophie, Greta, Jillian, Naomi, Bailey, Danielle, Cody, Nadine, Deanna. Thank you. Thank you. The biggest of Ds. Because they're patrons, they already know who my season finale guest is. You too can get a shout out on an episode by becoming a Patreon member. Check out the link in the show notes. You can join for just five bucks a month and there are all sorts of perks. Credit for writing, production, editing, mixing, etc. It all goes to me, your host, Miranda.